For the folks in the chapel, you're about to get a rerun because I was supposed to come up here and read scripture a few minutes ago and I had something else on my mind and I didn't do it. So you get it twice, but you probably need it worse. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, and see y'all over there. You can't do anything about it. Um, anyway, uh, we're in First Peter chapter 1. Uh, First Peter chapter 1, and it begins with the beginning of the sentence in 19 or in the middle of a sentence in verse 19. And uh, read this right quick. It says, but with, the precious, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. And on Sunday nights... We're doing a study called That the World May Know. It's uh, Ray Vanderland leads it. It's on video. It lasts about 20 minutes. And then we discuss what he talks about, and we look at the scriptures and see how all this stuff fits together. It's really a very good study. And uh, last week we had, uh, we had some pretty good conversation. And Trey Faircloth, one of our members, made a statement that when he, hit, when he said it, it just sort of struck me as being a little profound. He said, doesn't it really boil down to this? Do we know our mission, and are we doing our mission? We talk about the church. <clears throat> the church, I went with the youth yesterday, and my voice, I was really concerned yesterday what this morning would sound like, so we're doing pretty good. It was a little ragged last night. Do we know our mission, and are we doing our mission? Now, we have made the church a very complex beast over the last 2,000 years. Lots of ins and outs that make a church build and run and the operation of a church run. But when you get down to it, the question really comes out, do we know what our mission is? And are we doing our mission? And our mission, as I understand it, this is, this is what I believe and, and what I'm operating out of. Our mission is, is to know Jesus, to teach Jesus, and to live Jesus. It's pretty simple. I know him personally. I teach him. And I live what I hear. That's the goal that we've got. That's our mission. It's pretty easy. But then we get down to it, and this is where we start making things complicated. And we start asking questions like, well, Randy, that's not very practical. That's, that's all study and highfalutin kind of stuff. Let's get practical, Randy. What about the things that are confronting our society now? What about, what about social justice? What about the poor and the needy and the people in prison? And what about addicted people and sick people and people with disabilities? What about rich people that oppress poor people? What about poor people that mooch off of rich people? What about powerful people who make themselves rich off the back of people who are weak and unconnected? What about black people that kill black people and white people that kill white people and black people that kill white people and white people that kill black people and everybody that messes with a policeman? What about the ills of a world that is hell-bent on the destruction of their children, on the defaming of their women, and the emasculation of their men? What, a what about a people who sacrifice their children on the altar of convenience? In the face, face of all of that filth and all of that horror, are you, Randy, telling me that all the church has to offer to anybody is a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is the answer? Is that the best you can do? 
And I'm here to tell you this morning that it's not a bumper sticker, and that is the best I can do. That's absolutely the best we do. Do you realize that when a person truly knows Jesus, when a person truly understands Jesus, that every issue, every issue is covered? That compassion becomes something where you're not just feeling sorry for somebody, but you're motivated to help them. That anger over injustice becomes righteous indignation that moves you to do something. That revulsion over that person that's homeless or the person that's a beggar that smells the high heaven, that revulsion turns to a heartbreak as we end up noticing that that smell we smell is the smell of Jesus beckoning us to do something and not just run our mouths about a problem. We don't help people because we're good. We help people because we know Jesus. Well, now there's an argument I can make against that. A lot of people help people. What about Bill and Melinda Gates? What about all of the sports stars? And what about all of the actors who give millions to charities? What about the millions of, the millions of foundations that are created to help all kinds of people? I want you to think about something for a minute. Where were Bill and Melinda Gates back in the 1300s in medieval Europe when the Black Plague was going across the countryside and the people that ministered to the sick and the dying were Catholic priests? And these priests knew that every house they went into, this is statistics, look it up, they had a 50-50 chance every time they went into a house to take care of somebody, a 50-50 chance that they would contract this disease that wiped out between 70 and 80% of the entire population of Europe. And yet they kept going. And this was back in the 1300s that they were motivated to do this. Where was, where was Taylor Swift? Do you know that Taylor Swift gives a chunk of change to the public schools of New York City? Because they need help, the public schools of New York City. And I'm not saying she shouldn't do it. I'm saying that's what the woman does. Where was she in 1644 when Reverend, Reverend, listen to this church, Reverend Ralph Wheelock, a Puritan preacher, started the first public school system in the United States of America. Where was the separation of church and state then? The first public school system was formed by a person acting in the name of Jesus. Where was 50 Cent, the rapper 50 Cent, who does an awful lot of good work for impoverished children? Where was he in the 1800s when George Mueller changed the way that orphans were taken care of all the way up to and including today? Changed the face of the way orphans were handled in the name of Jesus. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Many modern celebrities are doing great charitable work. I'm not knocking them. They need to keep going, spend your money, do good things for good people. What I am saying is that celebrities come and go, and causes come and go. How many of you remember Live Aid? How many of you remember Farm Aid? And every time you turn around, there's another aid out there, right? Because this month's disease is next month's history. And this month's cause is last month's cause. And things change and things keep going. But Jesus... You see, Jesus hasn't changed. 
And for over 2,000 years, Jesus, Jesus hasn't changed. He's been motivating people to do something for thousands of years. He's been feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and giving shelter to the homeless and visiting the prisoner and comforting the sick forever. His job is to give life to people, not just feed them and clothe them, not just to clear their consciences and erase their guilt, not just to remove their pain and heal their souls. He came to give us life freedom to do something that's what he said the end of the book of John the last thing that's written in the, in the book of John says therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name Randy, what that means is that I won't go to hell when I die. No, what that means is that you have life. That you have life, that you are different. And you're compelled to be different. Now, how in the world did I get started down that with this scripture? One word. Y'all, let me tell you something. These sermons, sermons are weird little creatures. You sit down and you read all of this stuff and you write out an outline and you get the outline written and you know that this is good. Whether y'all like it or not, it's good. I'm telling you, that's right. I lean back and I've, I've got the outline and I'm going, this is going, this is going somewhere. And then you sit down to put your finger on the keyboard and you wait a minute, what did that say? And before you know it, you've written something completely different than where you started from because something grabs you. One word grabbed me. It's in the 20th verse. For he was foreknown. Y'all got to think this morning. Y'all got to th I thought about throwing this away and starting all over again because it's, it's, you, if you don't think, I t here's the deal. If you don't want to think this morning, go to sleep now. Let's just, I'll save you some time. Just go on to sleep now. Start doing your, doing your, your grocery list I could count the little things up here back in the day. Y'all can do that. It works. You get sleepy. It's comfortable in here. You got to think this morning. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The magic word here for me was foreknown. He was foreknown. I believed we have a warped idea of creation. I believe we have a warped idea of how this whole thing got started. I don't know that you would, you would agree with me out loud, but I think if you lean back and you think about it and the way we present things, I think, that, I think you'll agree that this is what we say. We believe that God created all of us, all sweet and innocent and full of rainbows and unicorns and care bears and my little ponies and life was all pastel colors and little stars in the sky and everything was just wonderful that that's the way he created us just this little sweet nice place all innocent and God had this innocent idea this naive idea that that his creation although he created this creation 
with this will that they could choose what they wanted to do. He gave them freedom of choice, although he created them that way, that he thought that his love for them would be so much, and the fellowship that they share would be so much, and that they would love the walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they'd get along so well that his creation would always choose him over death. And when Adam chose death, God was stunned. He was stunned and he knew, i got to do something. I've got to rescue this creation. So he made them clothes out of animal skins and he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. That's how we think. Do you know how wrong that is? That flunks Theology 101. If God is all-knowing, if God is all-knowing, he knew Adam was going to do that before he ever created Adam. There was no surprise there. You've got to understand that to understand where we're going today. There was no surprise. God didn't wake up one morning and go, y'all have done that. Y'all have done that. You've woken up and you've gone into the, into the other room where the kids have woken up before you and you walk in and you go, Wah! you had no idea that they were going to pour post-toasties all over the floor and then pour the milk off on top of it and then put sugar on top of it and eat them off the floor with a spoon. You had no idea your kids would do that. Oh. And that's what we think that Jesus did. That, I mean, that God did is that he woke up and Adam did this? And that's not right. If Adam knew, if he knew what Adam would do, if he knew what Adam would do before he created Adam, why did he create Adam in the first place? If he knew that he was going to unleash death and suffering and pain and torment, if he knew the unspeakable evil that man was going to do to man, if he knew all of that, why did he allow us to exist in the first place? Why would he create anything that flawed? But that's another problem. Because if he's perfect... How did he create something that was flawed? Well, maybe he didn't. We think that somehow God made a mistake. And it's taking him thousands of years to clean up this mistake. And we blame him for our suffering. Well, I don't really blame God. Yeah, you do. Why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? That statement says, God, why are you doing this to us? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's us blaming God. It says, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, before anything created happened, before the Big Bang, before, before. Just before, before, God knew that Jesus would be required. There was no design flaw. This is the way God meant life to be. There was no design flaw. There was nothing overlooked. Everything that needed to be known was known. And still God created us. 
Scripture says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why would he do that? Why would he do that knowing that there was going to be a Genghis Khan? Why would he do that knowing there was going to be an Adolf Hitler, an Emperor Hirohito, a Jeffrey Dahmer who killed people and ate them, a John Wayne Gacy who killed 33 young teenage boys, son of Sam who, who killed lovers in the parking lot, the Taliban who allowed people to be trained so they could fly planes into the Twin Towers in the United States, ISIS who kidnapped a young woman who was trying to give aid to their people and abused her for four years until they abused her to death, who now takes 12-year-old children and straps bombs on them so that they can blow up a wedding party in the name of a false god, why in the world would God still create us? Why? Jeremiah 31, 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Before, before, I loved you. God knew exactly what he was getting. He was not surprised. He was not dismayed. God, Jesus is not a patch to cover the hole in God's mistake. God knew that some people were going to see him. God knew that some people were going to follow him. God knew that some people would love him back and they would love him with as much fervency as they possibly could love them and he would love them right back. He knew that. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For thy pleasure. Because God's nature and being is love. He created those people who he knew would love him, and they were going to love each other for all eternity. That's why he did that. You remember there's another foreknowledge it's in Romans 8, 29, and it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Conformed to the image of his Son. People who would die, who would be crucified, who would die, be buried, and resurrected again with him. That's what he conformed, predestined, foreknew that this was going to happen from the very beginning. For those whom he foreknew, from the beginning of time, he knew that he was going to call out to you. That he was going to call out to you, and you, and you. From the beginning of time, he knew that he was going to call out, and that you would answer. And that your life would be changed forever, and you would live forever in love with him, and it would motivate you to tell somebody else who would hear his voice, and they would be changed and be motivated to tell somebody else, and be motivated to do something, and would make something good happen. God knew bad things were going to happen. God knew bad things were going to happen. He knew horrible things would happen. And, his, and he continually works to get his people to stop the horror. 
continually works to cause us to stop the horror. But he also knows that the short time we have on this earth is short. And he knows that the open door to his invitation, if we accept it, we will enjoy him without end. See if this illustration helps. 6% of all abortions in this country are performed because some medical test is done and indicates that the child will probably be born with some kind of birth defect. 6% doesn't sound like a whole lot, but 6% equals 2.5 million children since Roe v. Wade was passed. Now, put this out here. You know my stance on abortion. I believe it's wrong. I even struggle with the hard cases, the rape and incest. I always think that that child's still half the mother, and I, I know the, the pain that she goes, and that, that I, I fight with that. I wonder what, what, what is right. I know what is right, but what is right? It's easy to hold on tightly to convictions in the light of day, but you know, life gets dark sometimes, and sometimes it gets really, really dark, and our convictions get tested, and with enough pain, we make the best decisions we can, and that's all we can do, and that's why there's redemption, and that's why Jesus does the work that he does. So I'm not here this morning to place blame on you if you've had an abortion, not seeing you're a horrible human being. I understand we do what we do the best we possibly can, and then we let God clean us up. But I want this illustration. I want to work this illustration. At 10 weeks, moms can have a test that looks for an additional chromosome in their baby. It's a pretty sure indicator of whether the child is going to be a Down's child or not, a child with Down syndrome. Having Down syndrome is difficult. It means that you learn slower than everybody else. It means that your verbal skills come along much slower than everybody else. It means that your physical dexterity comes along slower than everybody else. But even more than all of that, you know what it means? It means that you're different. No parent in the world wants their child to be different. Not just because you want to say, my child's perfect, but because you don't want to see what your child goes through. Nobody wants to see their child be teased. Nobody wants to see their child be bullied. Nobody wants to see their child get laughed at. Nobody wants to see their child get left out and to come home crying because they were excluded. You want to get me worked up about that fast? Tell me a story where that happens to somebody. It makes me mad as fire. I hate that. No parent wants to see that happen with their child. And yet parents who know their child is going to be a Downs baby, many of them allow their child to be born. I talked to somebody about it once. They told me that it all boiled down to love. That when the mama's carrying that child in her womb, that she's in love with that child already. And when that child is born, that mom and that dad look into the eyes of that baby and see that innocent love. And as that child grows, they see the love of life 
and the love of friends and the love of family and the loyalty that those children have and all of this joy eclipses all of the pain that those kids are going to go through. That's why they said the parents allow those children to be born for their pleasure, not so that they can say, look at my new toy, but because they can have this mutual wonder and mutual love and mutual dis- dependency and a, a love that can only be separated by death. And you see, with God, that's how he operated, except the death part doesn't separate us. Death is just a light and momentary trouble. It's something that God's taken care of because we were created for life. And knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing way ahead of time that we had choose death, way ahead of time, God knew that Jesus' life would be required. And he let us be born anyway because he loved us. And he knew if our faith and hope were in him, that we could weather any storm. And that we could survive any hardship. And that we could endure every pain. That we could change the world. And that we would never die. Reverend Ike, you young folks have no clue who I'm talking about. You older guys might remember Reverend Ike. He said, why have pie in the sky and the sweet by and by when you can have yours now? He was a prosperity preacher. He would say, this is pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. But let me tell you something. It's truth, and it's truth pure and simple. Romans 21, not Romans, Revelation 21 says... And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And I know those words seem so far away when your child is taken or when Mima dies, or when dad passes, or when mom goes home. But time is so, so very short. If you live to be 85 years old, compare that to eternity, and it's that long. And God knows how short it is. And he makes us a promise. In Revelation 21, he says, He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. For his pleasure, he created us. For our joy, he created us. He could have not created us, but he chose to do it anyway. He wouldn't have it any other way. Because our God wanted us to live. So he gave us a Savior who lives. And by his calling to us and our faith that he is indeed faithful and true, we have life now and forevermore. Our hope and our faith are in him.
because he loves us so. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for letting us live. Thank you that you didn't abort us before, before you didn't decide that this was too much. Thank you that in your foreknowledge, you choose, you chose to create us, even knowing the pains that life would hold, even knowing your own heartbreak. And especially knowing, Father, your excitement. It's showing the world what you were really made out of when the world crucified your son and his body laid cold in a grave and his spirit was housed in Sheol. And when you waited long enough for everybody to know that he was good and dead, that he was solid as a rock, he was gone, there was no life in him. I can't imagine the excitement that you felt as you reached down into that place of death and you grabbed his hand and pulled your son to sit at the right hand of you in heaven and said, look at that world. That's who I am. Oh, Father, help us to see and help us to know. Thank you for calling my name. Thank you for giving me faith, for causing me to be saved, for making me new. And Father, we ask this morning, open the eyes and the hearts of your people to rejoice in your calling, to rejoice in your mercy. And Father, we pray this morning that you would call one more to a knowledge of you so that you could live together and love together forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't have much of an invitation. The whole sermon's been an invitation. Life's hard. And it's always going to be hard. And it didn't come as a surprise to God. He knew it before he ever started. And he let you go through it. And you can be furious at him and angry and everything that you want to be, but what it boils down to is this, is that he loves you so much that he would allow anything to happen so he could change your life forever. Yeah, it's bones. There's somebody that doesn't want you to hear this message. This morning, listen to what has been said. Not my words, but Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. 